Welcome to another episode of Mission Compliance, Unleashing Growth Potential for Defense Contractors, where we delve into the world of defense contracting and explore the strategies that drive long-term viability and success. In today's episode, we shift our focus to the importance of fostering innovation and agility in defense contracting. As the defense landscape continues to evolve at a rapid pace, it's crucial for defense contractors to stay ahead of the curve. We're joined by Michael Frieder once again, and he will share insights and opinions on how defense contractors can maintain a competitive edge by embracing innovation, staying agile, and adopting new technologies in their defense solutions. Join us as we uncover the secrets of fostering a culture of innovation, navigating emerging trends, and capitalizing on the power of collaboration and partnership. We'll hear inspiring stories, practical strategies, and valuable advice that can empower defense contractors to thrive in an ever-changing industry. Get ready to explore the world of long-term viability in defense contracting, where innovation and agility reign supreme. Let's dive in. As you can tell, we're joined once again by Mike Frieder, president of On-Call Compliance Solutions and a CMC registered practitioner and CMC certified professional assessor. So Mike, as we stated in the intro, Adaptability is crucial to stay competitive in the defense industry. With that being said, how important is it for defense contractors to stay agile and adapt to emerging trends and technologies? Um, that's a great question, Roman. And uh, I think the answer is um, it, it's vitally important because ultimately, at the end of the day, I think one of the things that's really gotten, you know, not just defense companies, but our entire defense sort of industry into a little bit of trouble is the reality that war and technology are different. They, they're they not the same today as they were you know, 20, 30 years ago, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, 80 years ago, when some of our last major conflicts were. Um, great example of that is drone technology when you start talking about defense. But you know, innovation really goes deeper than that. It goes deeper to the companies that are actually participating in defense-related work. Um, a great example is, you know, 10 years ago, there was no such thing as, you know, NIST SP-800-171. It just simply didn't exist. There was no standard for protecting yourself digitally. Um, and so for those companies who have not moved ahead, have not really given um, innovation on a security and risk management front any kind of real attention, what they wind up doing is creating a significant vulnerability to their own company's stability. So here's a great example. Um, company you know, in defense gets hit by a ransomware attack. Two things happen there. Number one is you know, the stability of their company is threatened. Remember, a lot of companies do not come back from cyber attack. They literally have to shut down their operation. Um, you know, cyber attacks, uh, I think, don't make the news as much as they should because, well, at the end of the day, another small business shutting down is not really all that newsworthy. Um, but the way in which uh, we oftentimes hear about cyber attacks is when they hit big municipalities or government institutions that literally can't shut down. And so when that happens, I think um, it, it sort of gives off this vibe of this won't happen to me, when in fact, the actual reality is the majority of these attacks are happening to small and mid-sized companies. Uh, and oftentimes they do wind up shutting down. So I think that number one is, you know, evolving your own understanding is the first step in being able to understand 
what you need to be innovating, you know, what else in your organization needs to be in a, uh, sort of being innovated. Um, second thing, so number one is, again, if you're not innovating when it comes to risk management and information security, I think ultimately your competition is. It's like every other aspect of business. If you're not doing it, someone else is. Um, and so it's one of the challenges of being in business and in the defense industry is, you know, to just be in the defense industry, you're probably a fairly cutting edge company or you're doing something unique. Um, you're not sort of the everyday, you know, easily repeatable business. And so protecting that information and innovating on your risk management becomes even more important. And it's so important to innovate that the government has actually made it a law that you have to, right? So they've, they've literally implemented uh, consistently since 2017, new and more intensive laws as it sort of corresponds to protecting information. One, demonstrating that you can't let this stuff go. You, you cannot just rest on your laurels and fail to protect yourself adequately. But two, uh, as a demonstration of, hey, look, we understand how important this stuff is, so we're going to help you by providing you with these standards and saying, hey, look, this is how it needs to be done in order to be adequate uh, at, a, at a baseline minimum. So the good news is, is for defense contractors, unlike a lot of uh, other industries out there, uh, the government has done a great job of helping you to innovate. Um, they still leave it open to you to figure out the exact and specific solutions, but they really have done a great job of providing that path to innovation. Um, and, you know, I think ultimately for those who choose to follow it, uh, well, for one thing, you're following the law, so you don't really have a lot of choice, but um, there are still a lot of companies out there that aren't getting with it or that are slow to get with it. Uh, what you really sort of have is an innovation pathway that the government has created for you, along with a proven methodology uh, for that innovation. Then there's what do you do with that? So what do you do when they hand you the keys to the car is another, I think, big challenge. So they've handed you this path to innovation. Um, and there's two things you can do with it. One is you can just check the box, right? You can go through, get compliant in, in the most minimalistic way possible and, and move on. I think that's one thing that can be done. Another thing that can be done is you can understand the real why behind these standards, which is to ultimately make you a less risky business to do business with. And that translates into you being a more stable business. Here's a huge, huge piece of candy that the government is actually giving you. When you get with these standards and you look at the value of an organization, okay? So for a lot of our audience, they're in small to mid-sized businesses. They're looking to one day maybe hopefully sell their business. Um, or even if they're not trying to sell it, you know, there's, you, know, you always want to be looking in the direction of how can I increase the value of, of our organization or how can we be a more valuable organization for various reasons. When you have a proven risk management strategy and it's implemented, okay, that increases the inherent value in your organization. Okay. It can increase the multiplier when you're going to sell. It can increase the perceived value of the partnership with your clients because you are more stable and you have those credibility things to tout like being DFARS compliant or CMMC ready right now. Uh, there's just a tremendous amount of positive that comes out that while it may not be initially tangible on the balance sheet in a sort of ongoing operational way, it truly differentiates you and is a value increaser uh, when it comes to, you know, how other people view your organization. People want companies they do business with uh, or companies that they're purchasing to be stable. They want to make sure that an investment in a relationship with you is going to be there tomorrow and not fall victim to a cyber attack. 
Uh, and again, if, if you don't think that's realistic, just look at insurance policies. Insurance policies over the last 10 years have highly evolved. And if you haven't really sort of investigated what your cyber liability insurance looks like, I would, I would really encourage that. Um, again, another place to innovate perhaps. Uh, and then ultimately, it's just look at your technology stack. You know, are you using the same stuff you were 10 years ago? And if you are, there's new and changing things out there. Um, so I don't know. Hopefully that kind of gives a, a good a good summary level answer, Roman. You know, tell me if I hit all the points you were looking for, but uh, a lot a lot to unpack there. I think you nailed it. I think that's all I can ask for. Um, um, so for for lack of a better word, defense is a team sport. Uh, contractor and subcontractor pairings play a big role in the innovation and advancement of the industry. So, so what role do you say that collaboration and partnerships play in driving innovation and agility in the defense in in defense contracting? Massive, massive. You know, I think we talked about this briefly on another episode, but um, one of the things that is so different in government contracting versus private sector is the teaming aspect, the collaboration aspect. Um, you know, the government has to typically make very large purchases. Um, the last thing they really want to do is sort of go out to Walmart, buy one item and then, and then come back and then have to go back out to the grocery store again. So a lot of times their purchases are very well scoped and planned and, and, and they spend a lot of effort planning for those purchases. Obviously there's a smaller one-off ones, but, um, you know, ultimately a lot of their purchasing goes through pretty large contract vehicles. There are organizations out there who just simply specialize in winning the contract. Their goal is to find people out there, subcontractors, uh, who they can have perform the work. They take a certain percentage of overhead as profit, and their primary job is to write winning proposals. I don't know any private company that really operates just like that. And, and when I say private company, I mean company that's really just targeting your typical private sector uh, organizations. Generally speaking, that's something that's really resolved or reserved for very, very large projects. But yet defense is business because it's accessible by small businesses uh, and even medium-sized businesses. And, and again, when I say small, you know, in the eyes of the government, a, a 10, 15, 20,000 person employee business is a small business. A one person business is a small business. It, the, the, you know, in the government's eyes, they're dealing with companies that have hundreds of thousands and then sometimes millions of employees. So it is a, a big differentiator. Um, but ultimately, I think this is another area uh, talking about innovation that I think a lot of small to mid-sized businesses really need a change in mindset. They need to innovate their mindset, which is if you're going to go out there and win defense work, um, and let's say you're, you know, again, a, a, let's say you're a precision machine shop or a commodity shop of some sort, and 90% plus of your work is in private sector, but you've won your first defense project or you have a little bit of your business in defense. Which, by the way, that is how a lot of defense contracting works. It's not that they're specifically 100% uh, in defense. It's like, hey, they have this one-off project and it happens to be for the Navy and now all of a sudden they have to be compliant. Um, what happens there in that circumstance is they have two choices. One is, is they can take that one job, which they legally have to be compliant for, and they can, they can take it, do the work, and then move on. Or... In my opinion, I think there's a massive opportunity. By the way, not my opinion. I mean, I've watched this happen with our clients, and we highly encourage our clients to do this. You can say to yourself, hey, wait a minute. I just won a piece of defense work. How can I win more of this, right? First rule when you're scaling a business or when you're growing a business and you want to grow is you take and analyze your successes, and you say to yourself, how can I just simply do more of the same thing 
which will generate more profits. Remember, every dollar of a dollar of profit or every dollar of growth is not like this new thing, right? It's not like you had to invent what a dollar was to get three dollars in versus one dollar of profit. It's just doing more of the exact same thing over and over and over again. Um, and that is the difference between a company that has, let's say, you know, net profits of five hundred thousand dollars versus several million. They, the 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 multi million dollar profiting company just simply does more of what made them successful in the first place. So when you get that first piece of defense work, hyper analyze how did that work come in? What did you do to get that work? Make friends with the person that made that purchasing decision and say, hey, hold on, I want to take you to lunch, or I want to you know fly out and come see you. I want to get you on the phone for a quick Zoom meeting. I just want to analyze how you came to the decision to actually use us for this kind of business. And they will tell you gladly. I, I've never had someone reject me when I just simply ask them for their opinion or thoughts on you know how they do business. It just, I've never had it done. Um, and so then the next step is looking at and saying, hey, we'd really like to win more of this kind of business from you. How can we do that? And that might be your next source of business. They may have other organizations just like them that they can refer you off to. Or it may be a situation where they have other primes or other contract vehicles and they go, you know, I think you ought to talk to so-and-so at this other defense company because you know what? At the end of the day, uh, they probably do more of what you do than we do. And so therefore they would be a really good partner for you. Um, final thought on partnering, you know, just to sort of not, because I, I got to tell you, Roman, I could go on a diatribe about partnering because if you really look at how defense works, um, it, it's so different in the United States. It's so different because it's privatized versus if you look a great example, there's an article in the news this morning about China. China has something like 200 times the shipbuilding capacity of the United States, which is a dumbfounding number. Right. Because how did that happen? Well, the answer is the government essentially owns the shipbuilding companies so they can flow as much currency into those shipbuilding yards as they want. Unlike America, where we actually have to justify that somehow. And it just simply works differently. You're dependent upon a private contractor to win more and more contracts. What if they don't want to? Right. What if they can't manage a massive personnel expansion? as where a government can just literally print money. And, you know, so there's this massive extra step of complication involved with the United States versus a lot of other nations. And, you know, it, it is, um, it's competitive and it's tough. Um, but at the end of the day, it is a challenge that we face. And so I think, you know, partnering is one way that you can very quickly scale up as opposed to trying to organically grow from within. Uh, and it's, it's frankly, you know, I think one of my favorite ways, you know, to, to grow as well. Final thought, you know, or one of the final thoughts here, I guess, um, is, you know, think about the idea of affiliates, right? Or partners or joint venture partnerships where you are partnering with a company because they have something that you don't. And then all of a sudden you can offer something. You know, we have a relationship like that uh, in some of the consulting that we do. We have consultants that are outside of on-call. Um, but they consult on a subject matter or areas of, of practice that is core to our clients. So rather than going and sort of hiring on those experts and building out an entire department for projects that may only come in a few times a year, you know, we said, hey, look, how about we just partner with you? We'll bring in the business. That's no problem at all. 
Uh, and how about we sub that out to you and you operate under our umbrella? And that's another way you can partner vertically is you go in the contracts or you go find the work, or maybe you've got the relationship with the purchaser, and then you can actually flow that work down to subcontractors. Obviously, there's a big effect on compliance there. Um, and again, if you're having challenges with that, you know, on-call can certainly help you out there. Uh, but again, partnership in defense is a critical place to innovate, especially if you're not used to having to partner. Um, I have to tell you, there are so many defense contracts that actually go unfulfilled each year that it's startling. Um, there's just literally millions upon millions upon millions of dollars left right on the table for somebody to just have a solution for. Uh, and so, you know, again, I, I would just really encourage you to perhaps if you're if you've gotten yourself into this, if you're in defense right now or you're having to get compliant with this stuff, look, you're going to have to do it anyway. Right. Like we can make that the easy lift. I think that's one thing on call really specializes in is making that easy. But don't just stop at accomplishing the first roadblock. Realize what you got yourself into, innovate and make defense a core part of your company, because I'll tell you what. You know, I'll just I'll use Lockheed and Raytheon as, as great examples, right? They're innovation companies themselves, uh, highly innovative. And I'll tell you what, they've been around a long time, all right? The guys making tanks, they're still there. They were there in the 30s and 40s. They're still there today, and they're going to be there tomorrow. You can't really say the same for a whole lot of private companies that are riding technology waves. So I think another aspect of this is the, the you know, the the intent to innovate in exchange for um, long-term stability, you know? So I think that's just, you know, another another element is, can you find partnerships that are gonna, you know, sort of be long-term partnerships that make you a more stable organization? Uh, and, and again, I think stability is, is really critical, right? It's one thing to go out there and sell a project, but it's, it's another thing to go out and be able to repeatedly sell that project for the next 20 years, uh, which is, you know, something that I think you, you just simply need partnership to do. For our listeners, I want to clarify, ship building, ship building, <laughs> just in case anybody was curious, because I know it was bugging me that whole time. Um, <laughs> speaking of innovation and emerging technologies, artificial intelligence is advancing rapidly. A AI can certainly be a valuable asset to businesses, but with something like that, there can also be a level of concern. How does the integration of emerging technologies such as AI or or the Internet of Things impact the long-term viability of defense contracting organizations? That's that's a really great question. You know, I think everybody these days is talking about artificial intelligence. And I think that, you know, the first challenge is people really understand what this artificial intelligence stuff really is. It's not artificial intelligence. There's not really artificially intelligent uh, computers, at least not at this moment. Um, you know, primarily what people are getting excited about are these these active language models. So think ChatGPT. ChatGPT goes and is a computer program that essentially ingests millions and millions of, of pieces of data and information and essentially does the best job that the model can do to construe patterns uh, in that information. Um, we're not yet at a point where any kind of AI is self-actualized. So we're not quite at Terminator 2 status yet. Um, do I think we're far away? No, I don't think we're far away. I think, I think you know, the AI models and the language models that are out there can fake it. Um, but I don't really think there's quite artificial intelligence yet. 
With that being said, I think a proper, a more proper word is deep learning. Um, I think that there are deep learning models out there that are publicly available and are definitely making a huge impact. Um, so first thing I'll do is I'll tell you, I'll tell you some experiences that we've had with it. Number one is uh, earlier in the year, we were going to hire some people in our marketing department. Um, and uh, we, those people, their job was gonna be to be content writers. Like their whole job was essentially gonna be come on, write content. And we eliminated hiring at least two to three positions in our company that were gonna be content writers. Just simply didn't need them anymore because you go to chat GPT, explain to you know the, the, the console what you wanted and would frankly produce better results than any human would. Um, so I think that there's, you know, that's just one small example so what do I think about, you know, in terms of AI and defense? I think the first thing is, is that, you know, I have an entrepreneurial methodology by which I, I run a lot of our companies by. And I, I would tell you that this is going to be an opinion piece. It's not going to be like what you should do. Um, so, so I think I have to get that disclaimer out of the way. I will tell you that as a, you know, what I consider to be a smallish, medium-sized company, one of the challenges that we have in our industry, uh, and some industries are sort of older, more mature industries. Great example is the HVAC industry, right? Generally speaking, you know what you're getting yourself into. You're gonna go out there, you're gonna service units, you're gonna replace units, you're gonna do the maintenance. It doesn't really change a whole lot year to year. Uh, unlike you know our industry in compliance where the law is changing, I mean, the law actually really changes with every court case ruling, which happens every day in this landscape. So high levels of innovation. Um, I think the reality in defense is you have to pick things up, throw them against the wall and see what works. So, you know, sort of taking a more entrepreneurial approach to it, one is you have to test everything. You have to. You have to play with chat GPT. You have to play with different language models. Um, you have to play with, you know, the artificial editing. You know, you have to play with artificial intelligence and language models when it comes to some of the protection that we're using uh, in our in our client environments in terms of managing security, right? Attacks can be so stealthy and so frequent, uh, as anyone who's ever seen firewall logs knows, there's just sort of a constant stream of attacks looking to see if there are security holes that a lot of cybersecurity has put in artificial intelligence. Um, we work with a lot of precision machine manufacturers, and I think the way that G-code is being written is unbelievably innovative. You can go to ChatGPT, and you can actually type in or request G-code for a certain project and ChatGPT can help you to do that. I think it's incredible. It's really, really wild stuff. So one is, I think every defense, um, I think every defense contractor has to experiment with AI. I think if you're not experimenting with AI in your business right now, not even just in your business, but in your job role, no matter what it is, I think you're behind. And I think that you know, if you're behind, as we were talking about earlier with innovation, um, you know, that just means that someone else in your industry is already doing it. And you're probably about to be displaced uh, or at least lose some market share for sure. The second challenge you have is that there are limitations to the use of AI uh, when it comes to DFARF compliance for defense contractors. And this is really a, a good nut and bolt piece. You know, you are putting information into a computer. You have no idea where it's being processed. You have no idea what's being stored. Example is ChatGPT stores your previous search queries. So as an example, if you've got ChatGPT, you can't put CUI in there. You just can't do it. Like it's not DFARS compliant to do that. And you're putting national security at risk when you do that. So I think the other part of this is 
people really need to make sure that they're adhering to the data sanitization requirements before employing AI. Remember, AI is basically a subcontractor, right? So when you go and you purchase a cloud solution like, you know, ChatGPT Pro or whatever they're calling it, you've got to remember that, you know, the second you start sending data there, you have no, you're, you've lost control of it. You're not being a good custodian anymore. So uh, again, another element of this is making sure that you really know where you're sending that data and that you're not sending it to a place that is, you know, essentially breaking DFARS validation rules. Another great example is remember that there's DFARS 7010 uh, dealing with cloud solutions that requires you to make sure that data that's, uh, you know, stored is, is only in the United States where the US DOD has jurisdiction. So what does that mean? Well, it means ChatGPT is a great example. I don't know where that stuff is stored. Uh, they could change it at any moment. You just have no control. And ultimately with ChatGPT, the challenge is that they're storing your queries. So whatever you type in there gets stored, saved, reanalyzed. And part of the end user license agreement is that they get to basically manually catalog what you're typing in there uh, and use that for the benefit of improving ChatGPT in the future. So again, we have to be very, very careful about the way that we use that. I think I can, I was thinking while, while you were saying that, you know, what you mentioned, I, th I, th I, th I think I can shed some light on the whole artificial intelligence thing, because I think you're right. I, I, I don't know if artificial intelligence is the right term, because as you as you mentioned, there's nothing yet that is completely uh, self-contained, self-actualizing about artificial intelligence. You know, you have something like chat GPT or even um, an image creation thing such as Midjourney, where, yes, it, it, it can spit out information for you, but it does take a human element to program it and to set it up to to get the information that you want and and so you have to teach something like chat gpt to 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 look for the right information to look in the right places to if you're writing some sort of speech or something that it has to learn to speak like the person that normally would be speaking or something like that so I, so i think it's more a more accurate term is supplemental intelligence because it's it's building on what it's already been given by the intelligence of the user by the intelligence of the person that is programming it or if you have a certain extension on something like chat gpd can pull from google which is pulling from the knowledge of others so i think um, um, a, a more a more accurate term would be supplemental intelligence because it's not it's not completely on its own it's pulling from information it's been given by somebody who already knows it. That, yeah. That's that's just my two cents on the whole thing. Um, but it is but, it is really it is a really great catchy phrase, right? I mean, the bottom line is AI. Oh yeah. Self, so, uh, oh yeah. You, know, you, so, you 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 hear artificial intelligence, you think robots, and you're like, that's awesome. You know, yeah. a, a movie like I Robot back in 2003, which was one of my favorite movies growing up. You know, you you think about those those shiny metal guys running around helping people out doing stuff that's automatically what you think of but you know it's we're we're, we're not quite there yet which is why that movie took place like 40 years in the, in, the, in the future uh, <laughs> yeah i don't um, think we're far off but i think the idea of intelligence is probably irrelevant I, I i think intelligence truly is probably a human trait i think the idea of quantum processing and deep learning and, and just generally the idea that machines can learn and ingest data, but you're still going to have to pre-program. So, so here's another interesting one on language models. 
realize there are a bunch of different language models out there. So Facebook or Meta as their parent company has created one. Uh, ChatGPT is another. And every one of these will respond differently. However, every one of them have been programmed in specific ways. Bard is another one from Google. Um, Google, poor Google is going to, you know, here's a great example, right? A lot of people are basically saying that Google may not exist as a company within less than a year. When ChatGPT originally came out, the idea that you could simply ask a question and it would tell you the answer was, why would you ever search for anything when you can just simply ask the question and get the answer you're looking for? Brilliant. It's, I mean, so, you know, it'll be interesting to see how all of this plays out, but particularly for defense contractors, there is a massive concern about not even thinking about the idea that you're putting in CUI information into these various AI sort of, uh, you know, processing cloud solutions. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, you know, they're, they're, they're using your information to, to teach itself, which is really bad. Here's another example. They are doing, uh, there's multiple, multiple lawsuits all of a sudden that have come out. Um, the lawsuits are essentially saying, hey, look, we wrote this material and it's copyrighted and we use the material that was copyrighted. Um, it, it was it was clearly used in the training of things like ChatGPT. Well, I didn't authorize ChatGPT to leverage my book, let's say, right? So I'm thinking of Sarah Silverman wrote a book and ChatGPT can tell you all about that book. Uh, they never authorized ChatGPT to learn off that book. They didn't pay for the book. So how they get that information? So understand that ChatGPT and all of these other language models are essentially consuming as much information as they can get. And from so many sources that the second CUI enters that ecosystem, it's all of a sudden in every answer. So here's a scary thing. Somebody from China VPNs over the U US and starts asking critical information about defense design concepts, right? So think, go to ChatGPT and say, hey, ChatGPT, can you produce a blueprint for the F-35 fighter jet? And the answer is pretty scary. And then the question is, well, where did that come from? And the answer is defense contractors that had information publicly available or entered it into an AI type of you know tool like ChatGPT, where the end user license agreement essentially says, hey, listen, we can train ourselves. We have a right to your data if you put it in here. So it's really, it's actually quite frightening because it's like this new avenue for data leakage that a lot of people just aren't even thinking about. And it's such a cool innovative tool that it's kind of like a phishing scam. Wow. Uh, <laughs> that's that that's a little you know if you're not prepared for it that's a little scary um but you know it's 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 all part of it's all part of taking the next step and learning and evolving which is what we're talking about um but on that on that super serious note it's time for everybody's favorite part of these i hope it's my favorite part i think it's the most fun part um the dumb question or the silly question uh speaking of artificial intelligence the way that people think about it when when they think about artificial intelligence can i win defense work by just having a robot do it for me it's a really great question um i would say absolutely 100 percent um you know i was i was in a precision machine shop a couple of months ago and i was speaking with somebody and they said to me something around the extent of if i can replace 
human with a million dollar robotic machine, I will do it every single time. And the reason is because the machine will work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It'll never call out sick. It'll never get drunk. It'll never show up to work late. And the reality of a lot of different industries is that they are innovating and evolving quickly to shore up what is, I think, one of the biggest challenges in those businesses, which are the humans themselves. Um, you know, I think another way of describing that is, you know, if you look at marketing, for instance, you know, copywriting, excuse me, not copywriting like, you know, copyright material, but actually doing the writing itself is a job that essentially has overnight become obsolete. Programming is next. You can go into ChatGPT or other uh, sort of um, language learning model type you know, artificial intelligence services like that. And you can say, code me a WordPress plugin that will do X, Y, Z, and it can do that. So I think the answer is 100%. I think one of the coolest things about defense contracting right now is there are so many defense contracts who can be won and literally serviced without any humans attached to it other than to win the contract, right? So, you know, and, and, and to service the customer, you know, sort of, sort of be the liaison. But, you know, there's copywriting jobs out there, even in defense. There's websites that need to be created. There's marketing, you know, for defense that needs to be done. There's, you know, virtually every area of defense either has an element of artificial intelligence, deep learning, or, um, you know, some kind of automation that is being performed by robots or chatbots or some kind of automation. So, uh, you know, while, while it may be kind of a silly question at first, the reality is, is that I think in, if you are not looking at how you can reduce headcount and how you can, um, you know, essentially automate the things going on in your business or roboticize them, uh, again, I think you're behind. I think you're, you're not only behind, but I think there's something even scarier, which is you could be leaving a lot of profit on the table. Um, you know, the one, the one sort of caveat is I don't want to sort of come off as a, a cold robotic kind of guy myself, no mm -hmm. pun intended. Uh, but, you know, obviously we want to create more jobs for humans, right? There's only more of us humans around. And so the question starts to begin, well, what are humans going to do? Um, I still think there's people that need to sell. There's people that need to run the companies. There's people that need to do the actual innovations, the application of the technology and all the robots, et cetera. Um, so I, I think that there's a lot of that that still has to be done. Um, but, you know, I think that if you are not really innovating, and particularly if you're in defense and not innovating, uh, all I can tell you, and, and, and I'll tell you where this comes from. I've heard so many people tell me, and it's not as much anymore, but, but still are out there. Uh, I'm, hey, I've been doing this for 34 years. I never had to be compliant before. Um, why do I need to, why do I need to do this? You know, or I'm not going to do this, which is an even scarier response because it's illegal. And my response is kind of, you know, the same. It's, well, you know, why would you put on a ballistic helmet when you're being shot at? You were, you were being shot at five minutes ago. You didn't need the helmet then. Just don't wear the helmet. It's a silly paradox. Things change. The world is changing. Defense is changing. Um, and I think if you're not changing with it, you know, and employing some of these some of these new strategies, uh, boy, it's going to be a frightening future for you. Um, and, and I think the final thought is, you know, if you don't have someone who is looking at your compliance, looking at your cybersecurity, 
uh, I would just really highly encourage it. Obviously, that's what we do here at OnCall, but you know what? If you've got your favorite IT guy or whatever, make sure they're DFARS compliant. If they're not, call us. We'll help out. We can get you and them compliant, whatever it takes. Um, but you can't, you can't ignore this stuff. You know, the world at this point is going to move really, really quickly forward. And if your risk management, your information security, if those things are not in place properly, you're going to be in trouble. There's one other thing I, I think I'd love to shed some light on only because we're on this topic of artificial intelligence. And I, I just think it's like the coolest thing. I was reading an article in Forbes the other day, and um, we talked about the idea that artificial intelligence is not really artificial. It's kind of this uh, machine learning thing. Um, interestingly, here's the way that this works behind the scenes. I thought this was really cool. What happens is you have companies out there called data labeling companies. So what they do is they actually use real humans and they take slices of information. Okay, it could be a video slice of information, what's happening in this onboard camera from a Tesla. It could be a book. It could be any piece of data and they're labeling. A human is verifying what's going on in that piece of data. And then that piece of data plus what it's labeled by a human is what goes into the language model, okay? There are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of employees at these data labeling companies, all right? There's only a couple of them that do it and they sell the data to the big companies like Oracle and things like that. And it's really cool, but it also is really dangerous because if you really think about it, let's say that, you know, employee A is just having a rough day at work and decides to start mislabeling some information. Who's checking over that guy's work? Who's to say that the artificial intelligence doesn't have a little, uh, a little potty stop in the gene pool, if you will, because it is all human driven. And a lot of people really have no idea where these answers come from or how, how artificial intelligence works or how, you know, the cameras in your car know what the, what the lines on the road even mean. That's all labeled by humans which means all of artificial intelligence is fully capable of essentially human error. Um, kind of a kind of a neat thing. I, I love the topic, you know, like anybody else. I think it's also kind of one of the most over-talked about things, but it's because it's that cool. Um, and I think it's really neat when you can actually get a, a good understanding of how it actually works underneath the hood. All, all the more reason to change the name to supplemental intelligence because because that because all of those programmable things are sub are still subject to human error because of the humans that have to program them anyway that's that yeah. that that's an interesting place to end on um <laughs> and with that it wraps up another insightful episode of mission compliance we hope our discussion today has provided you with valuable insights practical strategies and inspiration to navigate the ever-evolving world of defense we'd like to thank mike for joining us again and and uh and telling us all about innovation, technology, and robots taking over the world. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> hey, always a pleasure, Roman. And everybody, thanks for, uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you on the next one. But the conversation doesn't end here. We encourage you to continue exploring these topics and connect with us on, social, on our social media channels. Share your thoughts, questions, and engage with fellow listeners by using the hashtag Mission Compliance Podcast. You, you can also visit our website at missioncompliancepodcast.com for show notes, transcripts, and bonus content. If you haven't already, don't forget to hit that hit that subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform to be the first one to know when new episodes like this one are released. And we'd truly appreciate it if you could take a moment to rate and review the show. Your feedback helps helps us to continue to bring you thought-provoking episodes and high-quality content. 
Join us again for the next episode of Mission Compliance as we delve further into the dynamic world of defense, security, and industry innovation. Until then, take care, stay informed, and make compliance your mission. See you next time.